Welcome to our show and thanks for joining us. This is Grateful Heart, the motivational Arizona real estate and business show. We're here to inspire you to believe in yourself, to dare to dream about your infinite and divine possibilities, to blow open your mind to creating your most abundant reality possible as our thoughts are so powerful. I found turning my own personal grief into gratitude raised my vibration to be in tune for receiving prosperity, health, and connecting to God's source. I'm your host, Rebecca Rains of Integrity All-Stars at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and I have been selling homes here in the Valley since 1993. If you have any questions and are watching us live on our Facebook page, you can comment and we will do our best to answer while we are live on the show, so do not be shy. Today on our program, we have some great guests for you. Live from Phoenix, Arizona, it's the Grateful Heart Show with your host, Rebecca Rains. Good Monday morning, everybody. It's still morning for at least another 58 minutes or so. Thank you for joining us. Today is October 22nd. No, 26th. See, I already lost my weekend. And I'm in the studio right now with Tara Krieg of AmeriFirst Financial. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Good morning. And we have, thank you, good morning. And we have special guest. I did it! Jay Josephs with Jay Joseph Appraisal Group, otherwise known as JAG. Welcome, Jay. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So happy to be here. So it sounds like all of us have been like trying to, to deal with this crazy market we're in. And Jay, you were just telling us right before we started the show today, and this is what our show is going to be about, is talking about this crazy market we're in. Um, you were saying an appraiser was getting mad at somebody? Let's hear about this, because it's like the exact opposite of what I do all the time. Well, so it, it started, so the agent had been to one of my classes uh, where we say you need to be sure the appraiser is geographically competent. You probably remember we've had discussions about this before. Uh-huh. And that it's you shouldn't just trust the process and trust that the appraiser that's calling you knows your area. You should be able to ask them a few questions and make sure you're comfortable with their expertise. The guy got really upset. Um, the phone call ended with a hang up. And uh, then they eventually got stuck meeting each other because Quicken wouldn't give them a new, give the realtor a new appraiser. And so the appraiser showed up at the inspection, was really rude and abrasive, wouldn't take any information from the agent. And it was a total nightmare. And I feel bad because I don't think that agent was going to get an objective appraiser because the appraiser was mad. So did the appraisal come in at value? I haven't heard that part of the story yet. That's still to be determined. You're going to have to let us happened. know. You know, okay. and, and we're going to be talking like literally live current data and real life. I got, I got, what's that called? Um, um, you know, case studies. We have two case studies we're going to be talking about today. Rebecca had two new listings go live for showing starting Saturday morning through Sunday, from Saturday and Sunday, nine to five, both days. One of them was in Ahwatukee, one of them was in Mesa. Both of them single level, both of them on cul-de-sacs, both of them pie shape oversized lots, both of them remodeled. And what that did is it created a frenzy, a frenzy. So Rebecca had no sleep this week, and not that anybody worries about Rebecca's sleep, but um, I, I think between the two listings, we had at least 80 showings in those two day period. And then we also, and they, the offers were still coming in this morning. We called for what's called highest and best at 10 a.m. this morning. 
And last I checked, I think we we're up to 12 offers on one and possibly 13 on the other. I'm waiting to hear from my staff where we ended up at. And one of them might have even been pulled right before when I was driving here to the show. And I'm going to explain what happened there. But this has been a year, guys. You know, this is a year like, Jay, you were on my show and Tara, you were also on the show when we were on the radio back when quarantine hit in March mm-hmm. and things like shut down. And you guys remember at that time, Jay, this was just seven months ago. You guys were having to note on the appraisals that it was COVID and, you know, property might go down in value as a result of COVID. Yeah. Like, how ridiculous does that sound right now? Right. Um, yeah. You know, but. In the moment, we had no idea what was going to happen. And now we're two weeks away from the election and people like I feel this crazy energy frenzy happening and nobody knows where it's going to go. And one thing that I can tell both of you is my phone didn't stop all weekend. People want these houses. It's like a demand like no other. And the Cromford report just this morning, Jay, because I sent you one on Friday and now this morning it changed. I got to show these stats, and I want to talk about these stats before I tell you guys how everything played out with these two listings, because I want to hear your opinions on them. Yeah, this was Rebecca this weekend. Seriously, (laughs) up through this morning and probably even this afternoon when I talked to my clients. This is what I looked like. Every phone call, every everything. And um, Fry, if you can, I'm going to have you zoom in on this chart so people at home who are watching live can actually see the numbers. Um, Today, if you go down here to sales per year, year over year, we have eclipsed 100,000 sales, 100,000 sales. I don't think that's ever happened. It's incredible. In the time that Cromford's been reporting, and they've been reporting since, I believe, 05. We broke 05's record. 100,000 sales in one year. Currently, active listings are 8,900 as of this morning. This time, two years ago, they were 18,000. So we have less than half the homes on the market, We've sold, and so it's not that there aren't homes for sale. They've been selling. It just they sell as fast. I think the analogy that Cromford used is it's like we're trying to fill up a bathtub with the stopper unplugged. Right. And the and the and it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. And so what I noticed here more than anything is in a normal year, we appreciate Jay, how much per year would you say? Uh probably six percent, eight percent, somewhere in that range. Somewhere in that range, right? Right now we're hitting 17.9% year over year. And most of this happened in the last few months. I think it was July through October. They said that we appreciated per Cromford report 12% in just that little four four month span. And so when you have numbers like that, it's like I'm looking at it going at looking at this Cromford index at 354%, which a normal supply and demand is is 100%. Um, I don't know how the appraisers are keeping up, and I don't know how our lenders are keeping up. And so that's why I brought you two fabulous folks on, because these are the two houses. Now, I can see, look at this beautiful picture of this backyard. This is Awatuki. You see the mountains in the background. Both of these homes, let's see, Fry up. This is where I might need your help scrolling through. Can you scroll through the first five pictures for me, please? Three-car garage, single level, tile roof, oversized cul-de-sac lot. Um, and then a couple of the pictures of the inside, like, like who wouldn't want that, right? And then you go inside and he's completely remodeled his kitchen, his bathroom. Like, look at that awesome oven, great room. I mean, this is Awatuki where most of the homes are somewhat dated. Now, go ahead and click on the other one for me, Fry, on Temple Circle. This one was priced at 425 
And then here we are at 373.500. This one has solar panels guaranteed cost of only 75 a month through the duration of the loan. Um, block construction, single level home, RV parking, RV garage. And then there should be a couple good pictures of the inside so people can kind of get a feel for <clears throat> what this house looks like. So when you see a home that has the beautiful new plank flooring, white cabinets, white quartz countertops, these gorgeous showers, I mean, like, enough said. I'm going to scroll right past all of this and <clears throat> come back to Jay. So, Jay, you saw those pictures. If, if anything, um, what was interesting is this weekend, last night at about 10 o'clock, I emailed both on both homes the agents who gave us our highest offers. The one at 425, we, were, we received an offer up to 460. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yes, right? Pain. Like, this is the guy who would have to go and appraise that house at 460, <laughs> right? And then I think the other one at 373.5, we had an offer of 400. And I had told, I swear, I was chatty Kathy doll, pull my string all weekend long. The phone wasn't stopping. I was telling every single agent, like, I've been doing this a long time. I priced both homes, keeping in mind how unique the lots were, mm -hmm. um, the oversized, the cul-de-sac, the, how the homes have been upgraded, completely re remodeled on the inside. And I was at top of market at both of these list prices. And I told every agent, like, look, if you're going to offer above list, you better follow up with either an appraisal waiver or an appraisal guarantee. Jay, do you know what that means? From my well, end. I know what an appraisal waiver is. Explain to me what an appraisal guarantee is. So what an appraisal guarantee is, is, okay, guys, I'm going to I'm gonna guarantee you, I'm going to pay $35,000 above cash, whatever the home appraises for, in the situation of the 460 from the 425, right? So when I reached out to both agents last night, I'm like, hey, look, I got concerns. You, your offer looks fantastic, but I don't have an appraisal waiver and I don't have an appraisal guarantee. So what's your plan for when this doesn't appraise? Right. Because I know what the comps are and I was already reaching. Like, yeah, these are nice houses. And like to your point, we talked earlier, Jay, I am one of those agents that goes and meets the appraiser when possible. And I try to be very polite. I don't mean to offend. I even had this conversation with an appraiser the other day. Like, look, man, I know you know your job, but I'm just here doing my job too. And I just want to share with you what I know about the property and you do what you want with it. And the guy at 460, as I was driving here this morning, actually pulled his offer because he got with the lender mm -hmm. who said, my client doesn't have money in the bank to cover that swing if it doesn't appraise. And so they decided to pull their offer because they knew if we accepted it and it didn't appraise, they weren't going to be able to complete the transaction. That is some scary stuff. So before you two talk, I want for I to take a, like usually we wait till the midway point to take a break, but I think this is a great time for you to take a break and get your thoughts together. Because I want to think about of all, I want you two to share with us from your perspective, Jay, and from your perspective, Tara, all the problems with what I just outlined for you and what advice you would have to give to the consumer and the seller in the situation I'm talking about. Because it's not fun for sellers right now either. Friday, mind running a commercial break real quick? You're looking for a mortgage. You need a personalized plan, not a click button, get mortgage option. Tara Krieg and the TK team have saved families thousands by proactively planning their home purchase or refinance. Buying a home is a huge decision. It deserves a strategic approach. The TK team provides you with a comprehensive mortgage plan, including a complete credit analysis, outlining the steps needed to improve your credit score, helping you qualify for better rates and terms. Visit the tkteam.us today 
We'll ensure you get the best guidance so you make the best decisions. The TK Team, moving you forward. Hi, I'm Rebecca Hidalgo Reigns with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. I've been selling homes here in the Valley for over a quarter of a century already. I want to say that experience truly matters, so when you're looking for your realtor to help you either buy or sell your biggest purchase of your life, I hope you'll consider using me. However, my experience doesn't matter nearly as much as my clients' experience. I dare you to Google me. You'll see nothing but fantastic reviews because I truly care to help navigate you and your family to the very best experience you'll ever have with buying a home. Hi, my name is Rob Sell. I'm with Sell Home Inspections. Been doing home inspections in the Valley for about 20 years. I do a variety of home inspections from new builds, resale, commercial, multifamily units, fourplexes, duplexes, and even on up from there. I can be reached at 602-908-7355. Again, 602-908-7355. Thank you and I appreciate it. I look forward to hearing from you. Whether purchasing a home or refinancing, we know you have choices when it comes to choosing a title company. Lawyer's Title is the leading source for all title, escrow, and marketing needs. With access to the largest group of title insurance underwriters, Lawyer's Title facilitates successful closings and protects clients from fraud. Creating solutions that save time and money for everyone, ask a realtor or loan officer today about using Lawyer's Title on your next real estate transaction. Lawyer's Title is a member of the Fidelity National Financial Family. So we had a good discussion on break. It did give us time to talk all about the scenario I just outlined. I have, after the show, my two sellers are anxiously awaiting talking to me to figure out who they're going to go with when you have so many offers. And, you know, I've said it many times before, going with the highest offer may not be the best. And the reason being, you said it when we walked in the door, Tara. Yeah. What is it? More cancellations. Well, we remind yeah, you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, well, we've talked about a lot. Um, no, I was just telling Rebecca that we've seen more cancellations in the last couple of weeks than we have in the last two years, and mainly because people are making decisions quickly. Uh, they're going in aggressively, and then after they get their offer accepted and they start the inspection period, they're really deciding: Do I really want to pay that much for that house? Especially if they went in and waived uh, any inspection, you know, negotiations. So they're taking the house as is, and if they're paying over appraised value. Good deal. Okay, so over to you, Mr. Appraiser. This is why I wanted Jay on today's show, because I've been watching things getting crazier and crazier, and we keep thinking that it can't go on, and it can't keep going on the way it has, and we've watched the homes appreciate it at almost 18% this year, selling over 100,000 homes this year. Jay, how are you guys keeping up? Hearing the scenario that I just gave you, the especially the 460 on the 425 house, what would you say to that if, if you and I were meeting at the house and it was your job to give an appraisal and I only have comps at 375? Or I'm sorry, 425. So, so sometimes the winner of the big of the bidding war is the biggest loser. The reality is is sometimes they're paying way too much. Uh, we're in this scenario where like sometimes people just they have to have the house and they just keep going up and up and up and and they get emotional. And then the burden comes on to the appraiser to justify this, I guess, irrational, emotional decision that they made. Um, and it's really hard. Uh, look, and I understand um, we need to account for the appreciation that's occurred because of the lack of supply. And let's all agree here, this is a lack of supply issue that's creating this uh, frenzy that we're in. Um, but if you're saying the comps are 425, 
and now you're burdening the appraiser with trying to justify 460, that's probably not going to, oh, probably not going to get there. The 425 was my one high comp. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was stretching at 425. <laughs> yes. Top of the market already. Yeah, and my seller was, you know, at first he's like, yeah, I probably figured we'll sell around 400. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's go for 425 because I think we can get that based on how nice your home is, the cul-de-sac, you know, the single level, the remodel, all those good things, right? But, yeah, it's cuckoo town. So you're you're kind of forced with being the bad guy. I'm not calling you a villain. We all love Jay Josephs over at JAG Appraisal Group. But the reality is, is unless somebody does the appraisal waiver or the appraisal guarantee, I may not want to work at that 460 because there's only one place that's going to go. Right. There's just the comps are what the comps are. But talking about the comps, would if I gave you my spreadsheet where I show you I had 12 offers and this is the spread, does any of that matter to an appraiser? So, so I think that it should. I don't think that that's justification to get up to $460,000. But to me, the number of showings, the days on the market, the number of offers is showing demand today at a price point. And while it doesn't mean that I'm going to get to the conclusion, it's certainly a compelling argument for at minimum whatever the list price is. Does that make sense? Because Absolutely. If, it's really hard as an appraiser to say it's not worth 425 in this case when the market fully showed us that it was willing to pay 425. Most of the offers have landed. Um, they either like our list price was the bottom, right? And then we're probably you know 10 to 15 above is where most of those people landed. I think they were just you know trying to be competitive. You know, and we'll see. Uh, how do you feel about escalation clauses? Because I hate them, and I told everybody to give me their highest invest this morning, and I had a couple people adamant about leaving their escalation clause. What an escalation clause is, for those of you guys not aware, is okay. I'll pay four thirty-five, but if somebody comes in and beats me, I'm willing to go up a thousand bucks all the way up to X, whatever that X might be. I actually had one this this evening, or last night, I should say. I haven't slept much. Um, the, I had a gal call me last night, and she's like, we don't, have, we don't have a limit on our escalation clause. We'll beat any offer by $1,000. I'm like, how do I, how, what do I do with that? Because that's just monopoly money in my case. Is it cash? That's the question. No. Yeah, and if it's not cash and they're not coming in guaranteeing that they're willing to pay the difference between what it appraises for and what they're offering, then, you know, that doesn't really uh, equal your highest and best offer. So, and I agree. That's why I keep telling everybody, if you're going to come in above list, I need an appraisal waiver or an appraisal guarantee. Right. So, Jay, how how often are you seeing appraisals ordered and then canceled, perhaps because maybe there's coming in waivers? Like, I, I see waivers because mm -hmm. of the amount of money they're putting down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, waivers are happening. Look, waivers are happening at a, an alarming frequency from an appraiser perspective. Um, but the reality is, is we wouldn't be able to keep up if there weren't waivers at this point. I mean, appraisers are buried, buried, buried. I'm, I'm Ooh. working like 16 hours a day, and I'm still not getting my work done. And you're nice um, enough to be on my show today. I love you, Jay. Um, <laughs> okay. um, but it is, uh, it is concerning. And I mean, I'm, I saw a waiver. A buddy of mine bought a second home. He lives in Seattle. Bought a second home in North Scottsdale. Um, and he got a waiver on the second home with 20% mm -hmm. down. I, I didn't think that happened. Well, I, I, thought it was I think it's starting to. Yeah, um, we're seeing more and more. So yeah, it's happening. So, But I don't think you're going to see appraisal waivers on a 
$460,000 contract when the comps are 400. So you're absolutely right. There's already a predetermined range. Um, And a lot of people say that, like, what's the max for the waiver to kick in? And, you know, it's not a perfect formula. So uh, the lender really won't know until they get the accepted contract and all the appropriate information and run the file. So out of curiosity, Jay, when you're getting an assignment, do you look at all the terms in a contract? And would that change your valuation on a property if if you see in there an escalation clause if you see in there like an appraisal guarantee a guarantee meaning like i'll pay 10 grand above appraised value well does that already make you feel like oh okay i got a ten thousand cushion you know like what are the thoughts that go through your mind when you're looking at this kind of stuff so fair questions and i generally don't look at the purchased information until i'm writing the report so i don't want to be biased when I'm looking for comps. I want to look for the best comps, not the comps that are just trying to hit a sales price. Um, so when I'm concluding the report and I'm, and I'm looking at the contract information, um, if I see escalation clauses and appraisal waivers or appraisal guarantees, in my head I'm thinking these are big boys and they know what they're doing and they know they're probably paying too much and that nobody's going to be surprised if my conclusions low. I, I don't think it necessarily changes my value at all. Even if they're waving, like almost, even if they're wa- even if they're waving repairs, for example, because I've seen a lot of that recently, like mm-hmm. accepting the home as is before they've even done an inspection. Um, you know, then it's like I'm just kind of curious. Like, does that just indicate to you, like, ooh, I really need to look at this one close? Yeah, if I see repair waivers, there's a side of me that says, okay then there's clearly repairs. What are we waving? I should be looking a little harder when I'm out of the property. But um, yeah, I, when I see those clauses, to me, it means that it's like an acknowledgement um, that everyone knows we're probably not going to come into contract price and, and they're prepared for that contingency. Okay, fair enough. So I want to clarify one thing. There's a difference between at my stage where I'm receiving all these offers and the and the offers are waiving in, uh, appraisals. That just means that they're waiving their contract right to cancel if the home doesn't appraise, appraise. and uh, and that they're going to pay the difference. Like they're they're putting their money where their mouth is, no matter what. Your end, Tara. What does that mean when you guys waive an appraisal from the lending from the from the bank standpoint? Yeah, it's a great question. So as far as waiving the appraisal goes, it, the underwriting system for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which makes up conventional financing, is evaluating all the information in the loan, the borrower's credit profile, how much money they're putting down, occupancy type, Jay had mentioned, if it's a primary home or an investment property or a vacation home. And so we will determine when we get the contract if an appraisal waiver is received. If you're getting an offer and they're using the word appraisal waiver and the lender hasn't run that particular property address with those particular details, then it isn't an appraisal waiver. They're simply stating, we're willing to waive that the appraisal has to come in at value to pay this contract sales price. And those are two different things. So it's very uncommon that you would actually see the word appraisal waiver per se as it relates to the lender not requiring an appraisal until the lender has received the contract. Well, and isn't sometimes it just based on the borrower's FICO score and... How much money they're putting down. But Mm -hmm. I will say within that underwriting systems, there is a range. I had 
a client where we ran it on a Saturday proactively and they were at a certain contract offer and then it was highest and best and they went 10,000 over and we lost our appraisal waiver. Mm. So I had to have a conversation with the agent to say, hey, at this price point, we did get the appraisal waiver. And so what that tells us is they went over what the range was Mm -hmm. that the underwriting system would allow. You know, it's a lot to take in, and the market's so crazy. And like I said, the gal who offered 460 on my one client's house was in tears because, from a buyer's perspective, it's so frustrating, right? That they're trying and trying and trying, and maybe they just what do you what advice do you give them? And then at the same token, my sellers, you know, I had one last week where the buyer that won got buyer's remorse. Yep. To your point, didn't open up escrow, tried to renegotiate the price. And my seller was super mad, and he just went with the next guy because he didn't think that they were a good person. Forthright. Yeah, they were yeah, honest. That they were just offer. playing games. And, yeah. and all those games are absolutely happening right now, and, and it's so frustrating for everybody. Well, and I think it's really important to talk about what has allowed the market to appreciate at this pace. And a big part of that are these historically low interest rates. Right. For all those individuals that are obtaining home financing, if they're borrowing in the twos, their average cost of borrow is about $4 per $1,000. Well, let's say rates were at 4%. Their mortgage payment is going to be a lot more for the price point of the home. Right. And so these low interest rates, I think, in combination with supply and demand, has really been um, a big contributing factor to what has caused home prices to go up as much as they have. Jay, do you guys make note of that when you make an appraisal that the rates are like stupid low and that's a part of the factor? Like, what? Because you guys don't you have to note compensating factors and things of that nature on your appraisals? Yeah, I mean, in the commentary section of the report, there might be some uh, dialogue about um, why there's so much demand, which is creating a limitation on supply and how that's related to interest rates. So I think that's a, a fair topic for sure. So a question I've been meaning to ask, because right now I get a lot of people who are like, should I stay or should I go? And they try and decide (laughs) between refinancing and selling the house and buying something new. Are all appraisals the same? So if somebody's doing a cash out refi, is the value the same exact number versus somebody who got a house and there was a multiple offer bidding war? Yeah, it should be, but uh, you know, <laughs> but in the reality, honesty and integrity, and it's just kind of not that way. No. Um, far too often, the contract price is the target price. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, I'd like to think not all appraisers are like that. And, and I know they're not because you'll see appraisals come in low, you know, fairly regularly. But at minimum, it's kind of a starting point for a lot of people is, hey, okay, we've got one buyer and one seller have agreed at this point, at this price point, let's get started. Whereas on a refinance, an appraiser is kind of lying because most of the time they have no idea what the expectation is. No one, the lender's not allowed to tell us and homeowners typically don't talk about it either. Well, but homeowners are on a cash out refinance. Let's be fair. It's not on lockbox. It's not somebody like me going and meeting you guys at the house. It's the homeowner who's there walking you around, pointing out everything that they think is a value of their home, including, you know, the door handles they replaced five years ago or whatever it is, you know, because they, you know, they have in their mind what they're trying to get. Right. And they know they're trying to get cash out. Um it just seems like when I when I have those conversations, I try to be real with everybody and I tell everybody what I believe is the case that's happening out there. Now, is that how it's supposed to be? Probably not. Tara, tell me, how often on your cash out refinances are you seeing appraisals coming in low? 
Oh, they're much more conservative. And Jay was right. Yeah, the appraisers are. There is no target value per se. They're looking. They're looking to bracket the appraisal. Um, they, bracket the appraisal. What does that mean? Uh, high and low. So one lower and one higher to kind mm-hmm. of see where it's hey, at. You, Tara. Uh, right? Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> so uh, well, remember, I, guys, we, we have to dumb it down for people like me yes. watching. Okay. No, I appreciate that you did that. But you know, it's so funny you bring that up, and I want to touch on this. So on a cash out refinance, you can go to. 80% of the value of the property. So when we have clients where we're sitting down and we're evaluating, does it make sense to sell and buy? Or does it make sense to do a cash out refinance? What a lot of people don't realize is that when you sell that house and buy another house, you can put as little as 5% down. And because interest rates are so low, in a lot of cases, we're able to take the equity out of that home and pay off high interest rate debt, eliminate, uh, you know, um, auto loans, student loans, et cetera, and actually free up quite a bit of cash flow to go towards that new home purchase. Mm -hmm. And they find themselves with less going out every month and they're in a home that actually meets their needs. So I think it's important for somebody that's thinking about, do I do a cash out refinance and remodel, you know, or pay off this debt? Or do I sell the house, reposition everything, and then go buy that house that really meets our needs? And so a lot of clients are having to ask themselves that question. Um, Jay, out of curiosity, how many appraisals are you doing percentage-wise purchase versus refinance? Like, what's the what's the flow uh, you're seeing today with today's rates under three? That's a really good question. I think so. Our a lot of our business is private party work, realtor referrals, courses, mm-hmm. things like that. So I would say probably for our company, maybe 25% of the appraisals are purchases. I would say industry wide, it's probably closer to 50%. Really? Only 25 for you guys? That's Well, again, for us, we do so many different types of products, litigation right. matters and things like that, mm-hmm. and, uh, pre-listings and divorces, uh, dated deaths. Um, so our business is a little bit unique relative to the more traditional appraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, probably about 25% purchase business. Okay. So, uh, but on average, you're saying it's more like 50-50 out there. So at one out of two people are selling and one out of two people are choosing to stay put and refinance. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you guys what I see is people who have refinanced in this last year. And to your point, they they might have remodeled and then they still sell the house. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so they're spending all this money on a refinance and then they turn around months later and sell. And it makes no sense to me. I just had a conversation with somebody last week. They were like, oh, my buddy's going to get me in on this great rate. I'm like, well, are you going to keep the house as a rental? I don't know. I'm like, well, you should probably figure that out before you spend 5000 on a refinance. He's like, no, actually, it's 8000 Oh, my I'm like, gosh. okay, so slow the horse down Yes. and decide what you're doing first because, yeah, your payment goes down, but your balance you owe is going up, and that just eats up your equity when you go to sell. And you're absolutely right. And I can't tell you how many people um, have that mentality where they're like, well, I'll just go ahead and refinance in case I don't buy, or I'll get the money out to do the necessary repairs. They haven't met with their agent. They don't know if the repairs are even necessary. Oh. You know, I heard somebody- and right now it's not necessary, it's guys. It's not necessary. So you're going to put all this money into <laughs> not the necessary, house, right, and Jay? it's not necessary. So I think it's really important to have a good game plan going in. Um, so before I cut Jay loose, Jay, question for you. If you were- trying to give advice to my sellers and my buyers, and this is going to be for both of you guys, mm-hmm. that I'm dealing with right now, because I'm going to have to get out of here, and I'm, both of my sellers are waiting to talk to me, who would you recommend to look for from a selling perspective as far as a buyer's concerned 
And you know that would be really in the flip advice for a buyer. Like, how, how do you get the house you're wanting? And how do you know as a seller you're picking the right person in a market like today? Well, so I, I definitely think, so first of the good news for your clients is they have an amazing agent. I mean that uh, sincerely. Oh, and thank you, I Jay. think that you are going to maximize your interaction with the appraiser. You're going to give them the best information that you can. You're going to tell the story about how many offers there were. And I think I you're going to do a wonderful job for your <laughs> client. And I mean that. Um, I think that I would uh, sincerely look for the offer where there's appraisal waivers and, and uh, escalation clauses or whatever else we've talked about today. Um, because I, I think that you're probably in real trouble looking at the scenario on this offer. Um, I think you're, you've got a lot of trouble ahead of you. Um, even if you accept a 440 or 450 offer, I, it sounds like you're going to have appraisal problems. So um, I would look for the offer that the buyers have cash and they understand what they're getting themselves into and they, uh, they can afford to pay over market. Yeah, and so right now um, for a buyer that is crying because they've lost out on six houses and they really want this house, it may just not be in their cards if they're coming in with only five or 10% down and they need that home to appraise. Well, and I think what we do with buyers is we say, what's the list price? Let's assume that the appraisal comes in at list price and then prepare the numbers accordingly. And I think that that's the way to do it. And if that lender hasn't had a conversation with the buyer to that story, right? Mm -hmm. Let's assume this happens, then they're probably not really ready to move forward at that price point. And another thing that I'm seeing, which I think is really important, is the 10-day inspection period. So they're calling the lender and saying, hey, get that appraisal ordered right away. We waived it, but we don't really have the money. So if it doesn't come in, we need to cancel oh, during our 10-day inspection period. I, I, I know that. you hate hearing it, but I think it's important because that is not necessarily the right strategy or a great strategy for the buyer. The buyer's going to be out money, first of all. Um, and it ties up the property when there's other you know, buyers who are actually willing to pay the difference. And so if you have somebody who's waiving the appraisal, mm -hmm. my advice is get on the horn with the lender and, and make sure that that's a doable thing for them. That's realistic. Which is what I reached out to both lenders last smart. night. And they one of them pulled their offer this morning as a result. But so I'd smart. rather not waste my time with those folks if they can't pull the trigger. Um, Jay, if this was, if say say the buyer was your mom, what would you tell your mom to do in, in today's market? Because, you know, we always give our family members, like our mothers, the best advice. We don't want them to get hurt. Right. Yeah. So, candidly. Um, That's what my show is all about, man. We, we're yeah. candid here. So, the, the truth of the matter is uh, listing inventory is slowly creeping up. We were at like 8,000 a month every time I pulled statistics for 8,000 at any point in time. Today, we're at almost 8,700 in ARMLS, Which so is we're so creeping good. up a little bit. Give me some still, more listings. It's historically insanely low. Um, but look, I just don't think you need to crowbar yourself into the market. Uh, go in there with the strategy which you're willing to pay and just don't get caught up in all this um, this frenzied, these frenzied decisions. So you, you know? tell and your mom to wait and not buy right now? Yeah, I, I personally would tell my mom to, look, I, I wouldn't stop looking. I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't pay over what the comps could justify, even with an appreciation formula built in. So, and then and that, that's that's the way I would do it. So you mentioned a spike earlier. What do you mean by a spike? Because we were talking about this, and when I was using the 460 price, you said something about it being a spike, and that there's only one place for a spike to go. 
Um, and, and looking at it from a, an appraiser's perspective, what does that really mean? Are you thinking that if you tell mom to hold tight, the prices could come down? So, so here's what here's what happens sometimes. Like on the scenario you're talking about, if you get four hundred sixty thousand dollars for this house, uh, it's probably to a, a very substantial extent because there's no supply. Okay, there's a lack of supply. But all of a sudden, you send out a nice little flyer to all the neighbors that say, guess what? I just got $460,000 for this. That lack of supply could go away in almost an instant because four more people might say, well, what a great well, idea. Now, if I can it's get $440,000, I'll sell. Um, and it's actually happening in my neighborhood near like Tatum and Doubletree area. Mm-hmm. One person got a really good number. And a neighbor who I, I talked to and I'm friends with, had no intention of selling. It was like, well, if I could get that much money for this house, I'm ready to sell. And so I just worry when it's so supply driven that that potentially is a temporary circumstance that can change in a moment. And when you go from one listing, like you might have in your scenario to five listings, those prices might recede a little bit. It's funny you say that. So I. I have buyers like you Mm -hmm. who are asking me the exact same question. You know, do I wait? It's so competitive out there. And And the election is coming and what's going to happen? So I'm going to share two things that I share with them because none of us have a crystal ball. And so any opinion that we give is just based on our experience and um, our expertise, right? right? So here's what I say. First of all, if you're a buyer and a seller and you're buying and selling in the same market, then it has less of an impact on you because you just got an insane amount of money for the house you're selling. You might be paying a little bit more for the house that you're buying. And so the only th- exchange in the in between those two things is what's the cost to borrow money? Right. So if their current mortgage is at 4% and they're buying at 2.5%, then it didn't really matter in their particular case that they paid a little bit more because they got a little bit more. Sure. Right? Now, if you're a first-time home buyer and you don't have any money to put towards the transaction and you partner yourself with an agent and you go out and you make offer after offer after offer and you don't change your position as a buyer, that can be incredibly discouraging and it might make more sense for you to save some money. Better position yourself as a buyer so that when there is a little bit of inventory and it's a little bit less competitive in the event that happens, Mm -hmm. That you are able to successfully get a home under contract. So that's the conversation I'm having with my buyers Mm -hmm. is a if you are a buyer in this market, you need to come to the table prepared to play. Right. Awesome. And what does that mean? You need to have money and you need to, uh, you know, be credit worthy and be able to perform. So contingencies and things of that nature are very difficult in today's market. Oh, absolutely. Hey, Jay, while Tara was talking, it made me think of two buyers I actually really feel sorry for right now mm-hmm. are our vets and our FHA buyers. Yeah. Because when I see like my off my listing at 375, which is just a hair above FHA, but you can certainly get a VA alone. Absolutely. I'm shocked I didn't get a single VA buyer offer. I, I I'm thinking that those poor guys got beat up so bad over the last come up couple months. They they aren't even trying anymore for these houses. You know what I mean? Because oh, I am seeing something different. Are my you? VA buyers are able to be a little bit more aggressive in the way it's 100% financing. But they have to appraise. And if it doesn't appraise, they're only putting down the difference. Whereas a traditional conventional buyer, so I've actually had some agents say, you know, we would be better served to take this vet and make them go conventional because a seller's not going to take their offer. And I said, I don't know. I almost beg to differ. The rates you guys on a 30-year fixed rate VA loan are at two and a quarter. Two and a quarter. Two and a quarter. Jay, did you know? 
Two no, and a quarter, that. you guys. So if I have a vet and they're buying with 100% financing at two and a quarter, even if the home doesn't appraise, they can do 100% up to appraise value and they can choose to pay the difference. Okay, so that's a, that is a scenario I've used. Yes. But that said, and Jay, you need to hear this because this is the mind of a, of a listing <laughs> oh, agent. Oh, I know where you're going with it. <laughs> I see the VA appraiser coming down the street with his clipboard and his glasses and he usually doesn't want to talk to me. No offense, Jay. And even the FHA appraisers, you know, they have to be more on the inspection kind of lookout. Condition of property, yeah. So, Jay, can you explain to us why somebody like me may not like a VA appraisal or an FHA appraisal in comparison to a conventional one? Well, so admittedly, some of the VA appraisers are maybe, I'll say, to be nice, less user-friendly. Would that be fair? Well, that's where I came um, up with the clipboard thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think the average age of a VA appraiser currently is like 96 years old. But oh. I haven't <laughs> you did just um, say that. So, so, but, but on the favorable side for a VA deal is this something called the Tidewater Protocol, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're both um, well, familiar we, with. Yeah, Basically, we it mandates that a VA appraiser notify parties if they think they're going to come in low. So it does give you an opportunity to take a second look at comps and provide data and and all that. And so that's a really nice thing about a VA deal because on an FHA and a conventional, there's no obligation for the appraiser to give you a warning if they're coming in well. He's right. And I actually Mm -hmm. think that Tidewater, all appraisals should follow, in my opinion, the Tidewater process of, hey, we're not seeing what you're seeing. Give us what you got before we make a final decision. The last two VA appraisers I met, I'm like, hey, no offense, but I hope I never hear from you again. And they, you know, of course, they laugh. They get the joke because if I don't hear from them, that means they got the it's value that I need. Yeah. And so, you know, they usually chuckle with that. And I luckily have gotten the value I needed on those two properties. That's but wonderful. It's because I meet with them, I think, and I and I'm not offensive, and they don't take offense to me saying, "Hey, you're good at what you do. I'm sure you are, but here's just my information, so I can just tell my seller I did my job." Um, when I, if I can say one last thing, um, the head of the VA appraisal department in Washington, D.C. is an Arizona guy. His name's James, and he's a really good guy, and he really wants to improve upon the process, and he's an advocate for our industry, and I do think that he's doing some good things. I I would like for agents not to shy away from a VA offer because they're really working hard to uh, correct any mistakes they've made in the past. Well, I love that, and I, you know, learned something better today. Tara, you brought up about them coming zero down, so maybe they have the ability to pay the difference when appraisal comes in low versus right. somebody like my 460 lady who was 10% down and she she just couldn't swing the difference with her offer. Um, and then to your point, Jay, that if they're trying to make changes, I'm seeing it, but those of us who've been around a long time usually shy away from the government appraisals just because they seem more difficult to get through. And if things are changing, that's great news for everybody. Um, Jay, any final thoughts before we let you get about your 16-hour day? No, Tara, it's nice to see you. And Rebecca, you are a true professional, and it's uh, so nice to consider you my friend. Aww. Aww. All right, well, have a a fantastic Mimosa Monday, Jay. Go get a mimosa (laughs) somewhere, and we will see you next time. See you later, Jay. Thank you. So I want, because we only have a few minutes left, but you sent me a message yesterday. I did. And we kind of, you you hit on it a little bit with Jay. 
And I thought we should bring up those stats and talk about the poor people who are still renting out there. Yeah. Okay, so let me see if my two finger move. There we go, look at me. Okay, I'm figuring (laughs) this out. So I um, pulled this off of, and I thought this was really interesting. We're gonna talk about the renters, but let me point this out first because I don't think it's as bad out there as everybody might assume because of COVID. October 24th, highlights from Black Knight Mortgage Monitor's first look at September's mortgage data. So the seriously delinquent mortgages that are 90 days past overdue has fallen by 43,000, the first fall since start of the pandemic. More than 2.3 million homeowners are seriously delinquent, but not in foreclosure. Let's put that in perspective. Arizona has over 7 million people living here. Right. So when you look at the population in the entire country, I think, what are we, like three or 400 million, something like that? A lot. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so when you see 2.3 million, that's actually a very small percentage. It's an incredibly small percentage. Of people who are delinquent. But when you just look at the numbers, you think, oh my gosh, it sounds like so much. Right. But when you look at the whole population of the whole country, um, the national delinquency rate has fallen in September and that there's you know huge improvements out there. Now, the five states that seem to be hurting the most, Mississippi, Louisiana, Hawaii, New York, and Texas. I can't speculate why, but what I do like here is that the home equity is at a record high with 45 million homeowners that have positive tappable equity in their homes. This is the largest number ever, which is why you're doing so many cash out refinances. And the average tappable tappable equity stands about 125,000, up 3,200 from this time last year. So borrowers who are in forbearance, just 9% have less than 10% equity in their homes. This offers both borrowers and lenders multiple options in lieu of foreclosure. And the reason why I bring that up is I don't think we're going to get this foreclosure crisis even no matter what happens, whose side of the table you are with right. the election. You know, it's not it's not like all of a sudden tomorrow we're going to have everybody like back in 09 no, losing their homes. We're not. And I think it's important to recognize that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have come forward and really had a cooperative attitude to work with these homeowners on these forbearances. I came to your show. Yes. We talked about this. We were worried. Yes. Well, we were worried because we've seen things like this in the past and they didn't end well for the homeowner. Right. And in this particular case, I'm proud to say that they've really came forward and created programs that allowed families to transition out of these forbearances. So it wasn't that all of a sudden they had to make these three, four, five, or six months of payments all at one time, they said, hey, we're going to go ahead and take those payments, tack them on to the end of the loan, let you get back on track if your finances are back on order. And I think a lot of homeowners are doing that. You know, it's so funny you say that. So my listing at 375 that has offers rolling up to 400, he's the one I was worried about because he lost his job during COVID. He's now being relocated out to Texas for a new job. Great news. And his credit is still perfect. And the advice you gave on your show, um, he found out on his own as well, but he's still going to be able to buy another home today, even though he took advantage of the forbearance program during the time that he lost his employment because of COVID. Right. So there's a lot of good things that are keeping people's credit in good shape. Intact, yes. And the the ability to still buy even if they went through a tough patch because of COVID and job loss. And this was completely different than last time. Completely you know, different I, than I last time. I say it all the time, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think for those of us <laughs> that watched that happen last right. time, um, it was reminiscent perhaps right. of what we had seen and we were fearful mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be everything they promised. But I really see them standing behind the promises and I'm seeing a lot of families come out of that. Even families who couldn't refinance because they had done a forbearance 
have now taken those missed payments, tacked them onto the end of the loan. They've made three months of on-time payments, and they're back running with the ability to refinance to get purchase a purchase again. To get a refinance in the twos, in starting the with the twos. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's just absolutely crazy. There's amazing blessings to be had by taking advantage of these historically low interest rates. So all of that said, <laughs> let's get back to our poor renters who don't have equity in a house. So you texted me yesterday. Tara's on her way back from the lake with her family. I am. And she's like, how many renters are there versus people who own homes? And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a great question. Let me see if I can figure this out. So I, you know, I did the lazy, busy things. I was trying to juggle all my offers and realtors and madness I was going through. So I messaged the good folks over at Lawyer's Title Shout out to Madison and shout out to Bernie Espinosa over there. They actually replied to my text message with some fantastic stats, some fantastic screenshots. And the number one thing, um, there's 850,000 single-family owner-occupied homes in Maricopa County, and then 250,000 landlord-owned homes was one of the statistics. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that shows you that, you know, there's a lot of people who own homes uh, but the biggest thing that I saw when I was looking at that, and let me scroll down there, there's a couple other links I'm happy to share when we make a post on this video today, that um, here's the percentages. It looks like about a third of the people out there living in homes are renters. Yep. So two-thirds owners, one-third renters, and it has been changing, and I think it's maybe an affordability thing. I don't know, Tara, what are your thoughts, that there's become more renters the last year than we've had before? I think it's the exact issue that we're talking about right now, where renters don't have that lump sum of money that they made from the sale of a property. And so getting into a home right now for them um, sometimes can be out of reach if they don't have the down payment and the closing costs necessary to get their offer accepted in this market. So during 2014, the renter fraction peaked at 40% and is now 5% lower than that. The origin, the or, origin year for the series is two, 2005. Which is, you know, that's a really simple um, thing to explain because that was our last housing boom, if you will, our mm-hmm. last crisis where the, mo- the market didn't bottom out until 2011. So all those people who lost their homes had to go and become renters for a period mm-hmm. of time. I can tell you the majority of those families have been able to turn around and buy again. Yes, I agree with you. A lot of those people I helped, myself included, mm-hmm. where I had to rent for a certain period of time because I I had homes that were upside down during the bottom, bottom, bottom. And today looks nothing like it looked back in those in that time period. You know, people have had to qualify for homes ever since that happened. People now have equity in homes. And even if we're peaking on our prices and the prices soften a little bit next year, it would probably take interest rates to increase. Yes, I think it would. And so the magic question that we're going to (laughs) end our show with. What do you think is going to be my question, Tara? I think you're going to ask me about interest rates and where I think they're headed. Yes, that's exactly yes, what I'm asking. Uh, that is a question we get a lot. So here's the deal, guys. I They have made a commitment to keep interest rates low. And I think regardless of who is our president, uh, that it's as long as they are working through this pandemic and COVID, they're going to be using these historically low interest rates to continue to stimulate the economy to offset the adverse effect of COVID and what it's done for jobs and uh, people who are struggling. And so I think that rates will remain low until we start to see a recovery in our market. But is the market that bad? It's not. When you say recovery, that makes me think the market's bad and I I don't feel it. So I guess what I mean by that is when they feel that they don't need to triage the economy to offset all of the people who did lose their jobs or take a reduction in income due to COVID. And mostly you guys, and this is what's sad, 
I think a big number of those people were our renters. I think uh, the ones that got hurt the worst. They got hurt yeah, the worst. That lost their jobs. I, yes, and, mm-hmm. I think that they worked in the service industry. Yeah. I think the service industry has been affected the most. Restaurants, servers. Uh, think about the people who take care of us. What about the lady who does our facial or does our hair or paints massages. our toenails? Massage oh, therapists. Massages. <laughs> I know. I've talked to so many of those people, right. and they want to buy, but guess what? They can't because their income significantly declined this year. And rather, you're looking at the PPP loan, which mm-hmm. was supposed to help them, or unemployment. That's not considered income as it relates to what a lender is looking at. So they can't qualify at. right now. So they can't qualify right now. So I think, unfortunately, that sector of the market has been hurt the worst, and they've, they've got a long way to recover. So it'll be a while for the renters possibly to continue renting that might have wanted to buy. Now, I will tell you good news out there. I uh, last week helped a gal, FHA buyer, was referred to me. And I know why she was referred to me because it's tough out there. It's very tough. And she was a first-time home buyer. Mom and dad came along, which is always fun. But, I, of course, I look at it going, oh, great, this is a tough price point. It's FHA, <laughs> you know. And I got her a home within a couple of days. So if you're paired with the right realtor and the right lender who know what they're doing, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying it has to be me, guys. It can be there's plenty of great realtors out there. Um, don't go at it alone. Right. You know, get somebody who's seasoned, who knows how to speak the language, who knows how to get their offers reviewed, and writing a really good, strong offer, even mm-hmm. if you're FHA. There's other tools in my tool in my toolbox that I use to help people win offers. Mm-hmm. And I am shocked by all the offers I received this weekend from my two different clients, how few of the tactics I use every time were used at all by any of those agents. So if you know you're in a competitive market and you're renting, do some research and find somebody who's quality, who's experienced, experienced. and knows people because it, a lot of times it is who you know. The relationship piece of it. I think that's huge. It is huge. And, and because I have a good reputation, thank goodness, yes. it does go a long way when I'm making offers on behalf of my clients. So it doesn't yep. mean that just because you're renting doesn't mean you can't get a home today. Right. If you want a home today, just pair up, do your homework and pair up with the right people. And I'm sure it can happen for anybody watching the show today. Absolutely. I love those words of encouragement. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the partnerships that you have in helping you through the home buying process make a huge difference. Absolutely. So happy Mimosa Monday. I hope everybody (laughs) out there is drinking mimosas because I really wish I was. Um, But I have to go and figure out who's going to win these two houses. And Tara, I'm sure you've got a busy day and your whole office is, you know, ringing off the hooks as well. It's going to be a crazy next couple weeks. Yep. I am um, taking next week off, but we will be back on November 9th. And I hope everybody has a wonderful Halloween between now and then. Thank you, guys. What a great show. And thank you for joining us on our mutual journey to becoming unharmable and successful in all of our experiences while we're here in this school of life. We hope you enjoyed it. If you watched us on YouTube, please like and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Likewise, if you're catching us on one of our podcast platforms, be sure to follow us so you never miss out on another one of our shows again. Remember that if you ever have a question about real estate or any of the other topics we cover, check us out on the web, www.gratefulheart.tv, for all of our links to connect with us. Otherwise, we'll have another show for you again right here next Monday at 11 a.m. Arizona time. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day